Menopause affects at least half the population and is often not discussed openly, leading to many myths and misconceptions. As a result, too many women enter menopause uninformed and unprepared, not knowing what questions to ask their healthcare provider and how their long-term health, including their bone health, will be impacted. I'm your host, Krista Lamb, and today on Unbreakable, the OC podcast from Osteoporosis Canada, I'll be talking with Dr. Nesha Yuxel, who is a professor in the Faculty of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of Alberta. Dr. Yuxel is an expert in the area of osteoporosis and menopause. And just a note before we start, Dr. Yuxel wanted to note that while we use the term women in this interview, this information could be helpful to anyone who will experience menopause. Welcome to the show, Dr. Yuxel. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you, Krista. It's uh, wonderful to be um, participating on this podcast. It's my pleasure. And I am looking so forward to talking to you about this topic because I think it's one that isn't talked about enough and I wish we talked about it more because most women will experience going through menopause, but many might not know about perimenopause or postmenopause. And so I wanted to sort of start things off. Could you tell us what they are and how do they differ and how do they affect women's health? Oh, really good question. Um, yeah, a lot of women don't know about menopause or even the types of symptoms that can be experienced or that a lot of these symptoms can happen earlier in perimenopause. So let me define them a little bit more. Menopause is defined as when the period stops. So meno, menstruation, stop, and pause, stopping. But we diagnose menopause looking back. So if a woman hasn't had a period for up to 12 months, then that would be determined as menopause, especially if they haven't had any bleeding periods during that time. Now, the time leading up to menopause is called perimenopause. And this is where individuals can have, you know, those menstrual cycle changes from like heavy periods and then going lighter, but they can also have menopause symptoms as well. And perimenopause can happen anywhere from four to eight to 10 years before that final menstrual period. And so the average age of menopause is around 51 years of age, but there's quite a range between 45 and 55 years. But obviously a lot of women can start having symptoms before that final menstrual period. So a lot of women start having some of these symptoms in their 40s, uh, even in their early 40s during that time of perimenopause. And I know for a lot of women, there is confusion about how do I know if it's perimenopause? Because we start having all of these sort of unique symptoms. We're not sure. Is there something wrong or is it perimenopause? Is there a way to know? Perimenopause is more diagnosed through just symptoms that um, women are having or changes in the menstrual periods. So some women can have menopausal symptoms without changes in their menstrual periods. Or they may just have menstrual cycle changes where it becomes more frequent or heavier or lighter uh, without menopause symptoms. So really the diagnosis is made through basically what the woman is experiencing. We really can't do hormone levels or FSH levels or other types of lab tests because during perimenopause, there's a lot of hormone fluctuations that are happening. So estrogens can fluctuate up and down progesterone starts to get lower and lower. And so you really can't diagnose it by hormone levels specifically. Um, so basically it's based on the symptoms that, you know, someone is experiencing during that time. 
so interesting. And so let's talk a little bit about osteoporosis because we know that this often happens around the age 50 or after the age of 50. And that's around the time that women are entering menopause. So how does menopause affect their bone health? Well, um, yeah, it's a good time to be thinking about your bone health during the time where you're going through the menopause transition through perimenopause up to, you know, and in menopause and post. And estrogens are really important for our bone health. Um, there are estrogen receptors on our bone cells. And the loss of estrogens during a time, especially after menopause, can increase this bone loss that can be seen because not having enough estrogens can result in, you know, an increase, a loss in that bone, increased bone breakdown. Our bones are always going through bone remodeling and bone is being normally broken down and bone is being formed. And this just keeps our bones healthy. So when menopause hits and the estrogen levels fall, we see an increase of the bone density breaking down in our quality of our bone. And this can affect both the bone quantity and the bone quality, and which you know, can lead to further frailty of the bone. And this can lead to a fracture happening, so the bone to break. So the greatest loss of bone density is the first um, 10 years after that final menstrual period. Women can lose you know, anywhere from two to 3% of their bone density every year. And then after that 10 years, it, you know, starts to slow down as far as that, that rapid bone loss. During perimenopause, we can also see some bone loss as well, but it's not as accelerated as after the menopause because, you know, the hormones like estrogen are fluctuating during the perimenopause time. Now, one thing we have to be thinking about is women who go into menopause early or premature. So early menopause is defined before the age of 45, and premature is defined before the age of 40. And um, obviously, you know, um, women who go into menopause early, normally they would have, you know, estrogens in their body, but if they go into menopause early, then, you know, the estrogen levels fall. And so there could be bone loss during a time that you wouldn't see as much bone loss, for example. And so individuals that go through early or premature menopause could see, you know, greater bone loss during that time and possible fractures later in the life. So it does put them at risk of um, osteoporosis later in life, especially if they don't have any preventative treatments such as with hormone therapy during that time. So that leads me to wonder if a woman has had a hysterectomy, for example, or for some medical reason is put into menopause early, does that mean that they should start thinking about their bone health right away, regardless of their age? Yeah, that's a really good question. So early menopause, as I mentioned, was before the age of 45 and um, premature is before the age of 40 years. And menopause can be induced such as from surgery when both ovaries are removed. It's not just a hysterectomy where the uterus is removed, it's, it's when both ovaries get removed. And this is called surgical menopause. And there could be other reasons for early menopause as well, such as from you know, uh, someone who may be on uh, chemotherapy for cancer or radiation as well. But let's go back to the surgical menopause. So if somebody is having a surgical menopause and it's before the age of 45 or before the age of 40, absolutely, we should be thinking about the bone health at that time. 
And the ways to prevent further bone loss in these individuals is to consider hormone therapy, especially if they don't have other contraindications. And the hormone therapy will help prevent that further bone loss. Um, obviously, we need to be thinking about like even other things like lifestyle and, uh, and I can talk a little bit about some of those other um, measures in a second. But, you know, we really need to be thinking about, you know, how do we prevent that further bone loss from that loss of estrogens, especially early in someone's life where normally they would have the estrogens around, you know, to provide that protection and, and prevent that further bone loss. But someone who is early or premature is going to have that earlier than someone who goes through a natural menopause. So they are at risk for osteoporosis and fractures later in life, and we need to prevent them. So if they don't have contraindications to hormone therapy, hormone therapy is a really good option, especially um, if they've had a hysterectomy, they just would need to use estrogen alone. And um, if they have contraindications, then we can use, you know, certain bone medications, depending osteoporosis medications, depending on other risk factors. So it's an important time to be thinking about all of these. Um, obviously, we need to be thinking about th other, you know, risk factors, as I mentioned, and I can talk about some of those in a second. Yeah, I think it's all really interesting because for so many women, they're thinking about menopause and they're thinking really just about the, you know, the hot flashes and the night sweats and all of the things that we've heard about, but we're not thinking about our bone health. And so are there other things beyond this that people should be thinking about or women should know to look out for when they're going through menopause? Yeah, I, I think um, that's a really good question, Krista, because I don't think a lot of women understand all the possible symptoms that can be associated with menopause. You know, we often think about, you know, sort of our traditional symptoms that we think about menopause, such as hot flushes and night sweats. And yes, these are some of the most common symptoms that we do see. One of the things that's really interesting about that is we think the duration of symptoms is longer than what we ever thought. Uh, the average duration of symptoms for hot flushes is believed to be around seven to eight years. And in some women, it could be, you know, 10 years or longer. Night sweats are also common, and these can, you know, keep women up at night, you know, by frequent awakenings. Sleep is a really common concern that uh, women have you know, the fragmented sleep, not able to fall back to sleep, not only from those night sweats that can wake us up, but also not having enough estrogens. And that can affect that deepness of sleep and the sleep quality. You know, obviously, this is going to make you really tired and fatigued during the day. It can affect your concentration. You know, some common complaints are things like cognition and thought process, a lot of people, you know, complain of a brain fog, you know, sort of that I can't think, I can't concentrate. And, you know, if you're not sleeping well, that's going to contribute to that. Um, this is also really commonly seen during perimenopause when those hormones are fluctuating. Mood issues can happen as well from, you know, the low estrogen levels or fluctuating estrogen levels during perimenopause. Mood issues can be things like mood swings and irritability, anxiety, depressive symptoms. There's other symptoms too that we don't always think about, such as muscle stiffness or more frequent migraines, especially during the perimenopause. Some women have, or a lot of women have like low libido during this time. They can have dry skin. They can have palpitations, especially when they're having a hot flush or night sweats. It'd be like a big, you know, like a, a palpitation that they're having. Yeah. So there's lots of other symptoms. One other common one is changes in the urogenital area, such as vaginal dryness. 
and painful intercourse, urinary incontinence can be common, as well as frequent bladder infections. So these are all symptoms of menopause, but we don't always think about all of these symptoms, and we don't always recognize all these symptoms either. And this leads me to thinking about, you know, how difficult it can be to go to your GP or your family doc and say, hey, I'm having these weird symptoms. Is it menopause or is it something else? And so what do you suggest for women who might be thinking about how to have that conversation? Yeah, I think when you're talking to your primary care provider or your family physician, I think it's important to just even start the conversation. Just, you know, start discussing about some of the symptoms you are having and, you know, identifying are these symptoms from menopause. We have to understand that we're going to all experience it differently. Some women will have more severe symptoms, while others will have some mild symptoms and they just need more lifestyle changes, while others with more severe symptoms may need treatment. And you're going to have your own experience when you're going through that. So talking to your doctor about these symptoms, also sharing about like maybe what's also going on if you're in perimenopause, also like what's going on if you're having more vaginal bleeding, especially if this needs further investigation, if you're having breakthrough bleeding. Also, you know, trying to find out like where you might be. Are you in perimenopause? Are you in postmenopause? And then finding out what you can do to help with your symptoms. What treatment options are there? What would they recommend based on the types of symptoms that you're having? You know, it's really important to be informed yourself and empower yourself with information and strategies to help with these symptoms. You know, know the options, discuss these with your doctor or your primary care provider. Some really good resources to go to include the Canadian Menopause Society website. SOGC has the Menopause and You website as well. And North American Menopause Society has some great information too. And you can just Google these and find the websites. They have really good information for women. Osteoporosis Canada, obviously a really good <laughs> source as well for your bone health. So finding this information, understanding what those options are, and then having a really good discussion with your doctor is really important to be thinking about. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think sometimes we feel like, you know, as women, you're told, oh, you know, it's just a difficult time period, you'll get through it. But you've mentioned that there are treatment options. And I think it's really empowering to know that those are out there. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those? Yeah, absolutely. We do have a number of options, which is good um, to help with a lot of the menopausal symptoms, such as hot flushes and night sweats and some of the other symptoms. Hormone therapy is definitely an option, especially in women who are having more bothersome hot flushes or night sweats, especially if it's affecting your quality of life. Now, not all women will need hormone therapy, but some will, especially if they're really suffering from these symptoms. Hormone therapy is really the most effective option for hot flushes and night sweats and some of these other symptoms. And the current Canadian guidelines recommend hormone therapy for any woman who does not have any contraindications to the hormone therapy and for women who are less than 60 years of age or less than 10 years since their final menstrual period. And we should feel comfortable about starting if we meet these criteria. Not only will help with a lot of these symptoms, but also help prevent further bone loss as well. And um, especially in those women who have gone into earlier premature menopause, as I mentioned, it's really important for preventing that bone loss and possible fractures later too. Now, there are some women who can not or may not be able to use hormone therapy or choose not to use hormone therapy. And we do have 
you know, other medications that we can use. They're non-hormonal prescription medications. We have used options such as some of the antidepressants, gabapentin, clonidine, oxybutynin are just some of the ones that we can consider. Also, there is complementary therapies as well. And probably the best evidence is actually with cognitive behavioral therapy and has shown real promise, as well as mindfulness-based programs too. And there's been some good studies for many of these menopausal symptoms, such as hot flushes and sleep, have been improved with cognitive behavioral therapy too. So if someone's having more mild symptoms or doesn't want to use like something like hormone therapy, these could be really good options as well. And, you know, we need to be just thinking practically too, just about lifestyle modifications such common things is just like things like, you know, dressing in layers or having a fan, exercising, uh, maintaining a healthy weight and quitting smoking as well. These can all really help, even stress reduction, yoga, these can all be very helpful with the symptoms that one is having. Now, I'm just going to talk a little bit about hormone therapy. Um, When uh, a woman is starting on hormone therapy, normally what we would recommend is both estrogen and progesterone therapy. And the estrogen helps with a lot of the symptoms and preventing bone loss as well. And the progesterone helps protect the uterus lining from the effects of the estrogens. Now, in someone who's had a hysterectomy, that they do not have a uterus, we just need to use estrogen alone. And there are other medications too that we have that are considered hormone therapy that do not require a progesterone, for example, something called tibolone. And there's going to be a number of new medications coming on the market in the next number of years too, which is really an exciting time. If you have mainly vaginal symptoms, for example, if you have just vaginal dryness, urine incontinence and some of those other symptoms, then we can just use more local therapy with vaginal estrogen therapy is a really good option. And you do not really see the systemic levels in the body. It's mainly a local effect. So they can really work as well as uh, lubricants with intercourse and moisturizers, such as things like hyaluronic acid and others that are used regularly. I think that a lot of people will find that really helpful because there's been so much controversy around hormone therapy. So it's good to know that this is a safe option. And I wanted to circle back because you were talking about cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness, which we often think of those as being part of our mental health preventatives. And so can you talk a little bit about menopause and mental health and are there things that we should be looking for there? Yeah. So mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy Yes, there's lots of good evidence for mental health and helping with mood and mood effects. But these have actually been shown to help with other symptoms as well, including even like hot flushes and night sweats, improving that and with sleep. So it's probably a number of benefits that you can see with these types of programs. And so this is kind of exciting because it's, it goes beyond just the scope of helping with our mental health, but some of these other effects. But mental health in general during the menopause, I mean, we do know that women who are going through perimenopause, especially, it's a sensitive time because of those hormone fluctuations and can be more associated with some of those mood swings and even irritability and anxiety, even those depressive episodes. And hormone therapy can be an option more in the perimenopausal time period to help with some of those symptoms. But if somebody has a diagnosed clinical depression, or major depressive symptoms at the time, especially if they're postmenopausal as well, then you know we need to be considering other options such as antidepressants during that time. 
But, you know, our, our mental health in general is obviously so important during that time. And just looking after ourselves, we may not be sleeping as well during that time. Um, we might be fatigued because we aren't sleeping. So if we can address some of those other symptoms, like reducing our night sweats, getting better sleep because we're not having those night sweats that are waking us up. And that's going to help with our tiredness and fatigue and our moods during the day. So it's kind of a bit of a, a cycle with that. And then just even looking after ourselves, you know, making sure we're getting good exercise, thinking through our methods to re reduce our stress and how we think. And that's that whole idea of mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy and how we handle if we are feeling stressed during that time or, or feeling or with our mood swings, how we're handling all of that as well. Um, it's, it's so important. And that's why I think those type of programs have been very beneficial. Yeah. And I, I think it's really good for people to know that, that that's an option, because if you're someone who prefers to try something that's not a medication or a pharmaceutical option, that sounds like a really good thing to, to at least try. And I think to sort of move it back to bone health again, what I'd love to know is that if you're someone who is pre-menopause and you are starting to think that, you know, you might want to consider things you could be doing to support your bone health as you get older, are there any things that you suggest? Yeah, we need to be thinking about just our overall risk factors for our bone health and looking at our lifestyle choices even during that time. So what are the important things to maintain strong bones and prevent further bone loss and prevent fractures? These include things like quitting smoking. Uh, smoking can directly affect our bones. Avoiding excessive alcohol intake and, you know, making sure that not drinking more than two drinks per day, for example. Limiting our caffeine intake. Um, I suppose Canada recommends uh, less than four cups of coffee or caffeinated drinks per day. Uh, getting adequate uh, calcium and vitamin D. And, and currently the recommendations for calcium are 1200 milligrams of elemental calcium, preferably in food, but adding supplements as needed to get to the amount. And vitamin D, anywhere from 800 to 2,000 international units of vitamin D. Um, making sure we're exercising. The recommendations are 30 minutes of exercise most days of the week. So four to five days of time, 30 minutes over the week is, is good. So even walking is a good exercise. And Osprey's Canada has some great information on their website about different types of exercise programs that would be helpful. These include things like programs that help with our core strength and our balance, including things like strength training, for example. And this is also to prevent falls. Avoiding falls is really important because that's where we can have a fracture from when we fall. So, you know, all of these things are going to be really, really important. The other important thing is just to identify if you have any risk factors. Osteoporosis Canada has some great information about risk factors for osteoporosis. This is even before you reach menopause, start thinking about those risk factors. You know, do you have a family history, for example? Are you on certain medications that increase bone loss, such as steroids, like prednisone? Have you had a fracture already, especially a fragility fracture or a low trauma fracture? Majority of low trauma fractures after the age of 40 are probably due to osteoporosis. Are you smoking? Do you have medical conditions that increase, you know, bone loss and possibly fractures such as rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease? Did you go into menopause early or premature? How much alcohol are you drinking? How much caffeine? These are all sort of risk factors that you need to be thinking about and identifying, you know, do you have any of those risk factors? 
And then should you be getting a bone mineral density? If you are 50 years of age or over and have some of these risk factors, you may qualify for a bone mineral density. And if you're over the age of 65 years, you automatically qualify for a bone mineral density test. So talk to your doctor, especially if you have some of these risk factors, like should you be getting a bone mineral density done? These are all amazing things that people should be thinking about. And I wonder, is there any difference if you're already post-menopause versus pre-menopause that you should be thinking about? Or is it really just the same things? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of the risks that I mentioned and our lifestyle choices would be similar. We should be thinking about them in post-menopause, but we should be thinking about it in pre-menopause as well. You know, trying to quit smoking, uh, getting adequate calcium and vitamin D, um, the exercise, and all of the other factors that I mentioned. So we need to be thinking about it before we actually reach menopause and then post, continue on with a lot of these healthy lifestyle choices. I think this is all so interesting. And I'm so glad that you were able to talk to us today about this topic because, as I said at the very beginning, I think a lot of times, women don't hear enough about the things that they could be considering or should be considering around menopause. So I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. This has been so informative. Well, thank you, Krista. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Dr. Yuxel for joining us today. I'm Krista Lamb, and you've been listening to Unbreakable, the OC podcast from Osteoporosis Canada. If you'd like more information on osteoporosis, visit our website at osteoporosis.ca. If you have questions or comments about this topic or about our podcast, reach out to us on our website or via social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoying the show? Hit subscribe in the podcast provider of your choice. Thanks for listening.